I want to start this morning in Romans chapter 8. There's been a phrase that's been rolling around in my heart for the last, well, several days, most of the week actually, I guess. And so I just want to start with verse 29 and we'll see where the Holy Ghost takes us from there. Now I'm going to rip a scripture way out of context. Maybe later in the service we'll go back and pick up the context. But I'm going to start in verse 29. It says, For whom he, God, did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. There's a lot of things that we could say about this, uh, this scripture and, and uh, depending on your religious training, religious upbringing type circumstances, there may be certain words that grab you or jump out at you like predestinate. <clears throat> and the issue of predestination is, is, has been argued forever and probably always will be. This scripture tells us that God predestined Mankind to be conformed to the image of his son. Now the word predestined means to predetermine. And so a lot of people have the idea that God predetermines who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved and so forth. But the Bible says Jesus died for the sins of the world. It says he was crucified from before the foundations of the world to pay the price for sin for everybody. Now if God's picking winners and losers in the game of eternity then why would Jesus have to die for everybody's sins? He could have just died for the ones that were going to be saved and leave it at that. But the Bible tells us too much about man's free will and choice for us to accept that. Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come unto me. So it's up to the individual's will. He said, whoever comes to him, he would in no wise cast out. So the determination of whether or not we're born again isn't it with God? Jesus paid the price for anybody and everybody. That choice is with us. The Bible tells us, Jesus said this in a couple of occasions. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? Well, calling means invitation. The Bible tells us specifically that everybody's invited to know Jesus. But whether or not they choose determines whether or not they're considered to be the chosen. So let me read this to you again. For, and it has to do with previous scriptures, meaning because, whom God did foreknow, he also did predestine or predetermine to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What this scripture is telling us is that God predetermined you to be like Jesus. He predetermined anybody and everybody that receives Jesus into, into their heart, receives him as Lord and Savior. He predestined, he predetermined them to be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. Now we know in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26... At the, in the creation account, God said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. And let them have dominion over the earth. Over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God's original plan, which is without, I mean, there's no way you can dispute it. It's too clear to argue. God's original plan was to make man in his, in his image an exact copy of himself. For the purpose of having dominion and authority here on the earth. Now we know that man fell in the Garden of Eden. They listened to the lies of the devil and disobeyed God. The one thing, the only one thing God said was don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they did. And we know that spiritual death came upon the whole earth. All of mankind through that one sin of Adam and Eve. But did God's purpose change? See, in the beginning, before the fall, Adam and Eve were in the image of God. 
They were made exact copies of God himself. One translation says, so he created them male and female. This is first, uh, verse 27 of Genesis 1, I guess. In the image of God made he them, male and female, he made them to be like himself. Well, what did God think that meant? What should we understand that God did mean from that? Well, the Bible says in the previous verse, in verse 26 of Genesis 1, that he created us to have dominion. Folks, God never changes. That means his will never changes. That means if it was his will for man to have dominion on the earth in the beginning, it's his will for man to have dominion on the earth now. I used to think man lost his authority when he fell. But is the work of the devil strong enough to detour God's plans, to alter God's intent? I don't believe so. Man didn't lose his authority. He lost the source or the origin of that authority. See, man was given authority on the earth in the beginning because he was made in the image and likeness of God. He had his authority because he was a righteous man, a holy man, just like God is a holy God. And that was the source of his dominion. That was the source of his authority. Well, Jesus came to restore that. He didn't come to restore man's authority on the earth. Man never lost it. He came to restore man's source or origin or foundation for that authority. Now, what does it mean to be conformed to the image of God? Turn with me to two scriptures. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, and then we'll also look at Luke chapter 10. I think a lot of times we fail to realize what it is exactly that God wants us to be conformed to. Notice in uh, Matthew chapter 10, it says, speaking of the disciples, when he called unto him his 12 disciples, Jesus gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. What sickness or disease were the disciples not given authority to heal? Where was the limit of their authority? Well, it says all manner of sickness and all manner of disease, so there was no limit. There was no limit whatsoever. Then it tells us what their names were. Skip down with me to verse 5. It says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and in any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. I want you to notice Jesus is saying he's given them something that they're supposed to give away. He gave them something. We know it from verse 1 that he gave them power and authority over sickness and disease, every sickness and disease, and to cast out devils. He said, freely you've received. It didn't cost them anything to get that. So freely give. It tells them, provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his, of his meat. He's saying, I'll take care of you when you go. You don't need a U-Haul trailer to get out there. And into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who it is, who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it, and if the house be worthy of your peace, If the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it not be worthy, let your peace return unto you. And whatsoever city or whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Folks, the point that I want to make to you from reading those things is that Jesus said the only requirement, the only prerequisite, the only criteria for doing what I've given you to do, for healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out lepers, using the authority and exercising the authority that has been given to you freely, the only requirement is for the city or for the people to receive you. That's it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. 
Verse 1, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whether he himself would come. Therefore, he said unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither personal script nor shoes or salute no man by the way. Into, into whatsoever house you enter. First say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you. Jesus is saying the same thing to the 70 as he said to the 12. And to whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you. Eat such things that are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you not. Go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth upon us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be you sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh or near unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. So I want you to see the same thing that Jesus is saying to the twelve. He said to the seven, uh, I'm sorry, the same thing he said to the, to, I'll get it right in a minute. What he said to the twelve, he said also to the seventy. And everything hinges on one and only one criteria, and that is for the people to receive them. Now, the authority that he gave them over sickness and disease isn't in question. Whether or not they had authority over every sickness and every disease was not in question. The only thing that made the difference, the only thing that would hinder it from working, is the people receiving them not. Now, folks, I would submit to you that these people's lives were conformed. There's a big change in these guys. Not only the 12, but also the 70. They didn't have power over sickness and disease before. There's nothing they could do to overpower or cast out devils. Previously, Jesus gave them something that they were supposed to give away, and that was the power over sickness and disease and the evil spirits. Now turn with me, uh, go with me a little bit further into the chapter, verse 17. It tells us that the 70 came back again. Notice what they said. Verse 17, Luke chapter 10, and the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Now, if you'll go back and compare Mark, uh, Matthew 10 with the first verses of Luke chapter 10, you'll find out that Jesus said something to the 12 about having authority over evil spirits. But he didn't say a word to the 70 about that. Not a word. So when they come back, they seem to be excited about something And the success that they had that went even further than what Jesus told them. The 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And Jesus responded unto them saying, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power. The word power is literally the word authority. I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power. Now this word power means ability. It's a different word. I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power or ability of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Then he says something kind of interesting. Verse 20, he said, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Now, folks, doesn't it seem to you, just like it seems to me that most of the church is trying to do something to overcome the devil in their lives? Jesus said, that's small potatoes. He said, that's, the, that's the, the baseline stuff. Don't even get excited about that. What's he telling them to focus on? He's telling them to focus on the fact that they have authority because of their relationship with him. He says, the thing to rejoice about is not that you can command evil spirits to leave or take authority over the devil. Rejoice because of who you are in Christ. Now they couldn't even be saved at that point because Jesus hadn't been to the cross and hadn't been resurrected. So they're operating under the old covenant. 
which the Bible says isn't nearly as good as what we've got. But notice the confirmation or the conforming results that take place in these men. Their lives were altered because God gave them something. Through Jesus, God gave them power over sickness and disease. Now, some people would look at this and say, well, yeah, but those are the ones that were apostles, the 12 in Matthew chapter 10. And the 70, they were just specific or a a special group that operated with Jesus during the time that he was here on the earth. But folks, I want you to understand, they didn't have anything more in in the area of authority over sickness and disease than you and I have. Look at it like this. A race car driver has the same driver's license you and I have. Now, my driving is primarily for me and my family. It's used in a personal way. A race car driver does his driving for show. Same driving. Same ability to drive or same privilege to drive by virtue of the driver's license that is issued to us. So you can't look at somebody like the apostles or somebody else that have a, has a healing ministry and say, well, yeah, they've got something special, though. Now, they've got the same driver's license as you do. They've got the same spiritual license or authority over sicknesses and disease that every child of God has. Their use of that may be in a more public context. But it's the same authority that you and I have. Same exact authority. So Paul is writing to the church, again back to Romans chapter 8. Paul's writing to the church that we would be conformed, changed to the image of his dear son. Changed, altered in every way to be like Jesus. And is that not the picture that Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10 paints for both the 12 and the 70? These are men that are fishermen, Workers, tax collectors, menial jobs in many cases, whose lives were altered because Jesus delivered unto them the same thing he's delivered unto us. Authority over sickness and disease. God wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. He predetermined before the foundations of the world, before the plan ever came about for Jesus to die for the sins of the world. He predetermined that you and I would have authority over sickness and disease. He predetermined that we would stand in the place of authority and dominion here on the earth that he originally intended when he created Adam and Eve. He's predetermined that, folks. If he predetermined it, who can change it? If God established this as the way that things were going to be, who can change that? Does the devil have the power to change that? Who does? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29, 30, around there, he said, come unto me all you that are burdened and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. The thing that we're supposed to be hooked up with or yoked with Jesus to do is to learn of him. Now, I don't know if you noticed it or not, but both in Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10, Jesus told the disciples and told the 70 the same thing about what to preach. He told them to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus didn't even tell his disciples to go preach about me. He never told his disciples go tell everybody that I'm the Messiah and that I'll be coming their way soon. He sent them into cities before he got there telling them to preach the kingdom of God is coming near. Now for us it's already come. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, or I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, says that God has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, if that's not the kingdom of God, I don't know what it would be. The kingdom of his dear son, Jesus being the son of God, would have to be the kingdom of God, wouldn't it? And the Bible says that we've already been placed in that kingdom of God. And the disciples in the 70 went out preaching just that the kingdom of God was coming soon. It was near to the earth. It was as near as the three years that Jesus spent in public ministry before he went to the cross and was raised from the dead. That's how close they were. And that's all they preached. It dawned on me not too many years ago that I had a completely wrong idea about what the disciples in the 70 did when they went out and preached. It occurred to me when I saw that Jesus had to not tell his disciples a lot of things because they couldn't bear it. They couldn't hear it, wouldn't accept it. And there were other times where he upbraided them for their unbelief, not believing in the things that he said would come to pass and so forth including the resurrection. So if I may be so bold as to say, the disciples were pretty much clueless throughout the whole three years of Jesus' time here on the earth. Even when Jesus comes to the cross, the few days before that, they asked him things about, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? They didn't understand that it was a spiritual kingdom. So for Jesus to put the 12 and the 70 out there telling people about something that would benefit them and further God's plan, he picked people that didn't seem to know anything. He picked people that didn't have a clear understanding of what his purpose was what he was here on the earth or sent here on the earth to do. Yet the same phrase is used for both groups, the 12 and the 70. Preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is at hand. Now we know that healing the sick must be a part of the kingdom of God because that's what he told them to do if the people received them. Seems like most of the ministry today is trying to talk people into receiving. Which is not what he told the disciples of the 70 to do. He didn't say try to convince people. He said preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If they receive you, the responsibility is on them. If they receive you, then heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. How did we get to where we are today? How did we get to the place where it's more about persuading people, talking them into receiving instead of just throwing it out there and saying here it is T.L. Osborne told a story once early in his ministry just after he had been baptized in the Holy Ghost he went on to the mission field to begin with and was a failure and came back home found out about being filled with the Holy Ghost And then went back to the mission field in the power of God and had phenomenal success. Miracles became the trademark of his ministry. But there was one place early on. It was a Muslim nation. And he went to preach the kingdom of God or to preach the message that God had given him to preach. But he got no results whatsoever. As I said, it was a predominantly Muslim nation. And so he was trying to persuade people concerning Jesus rather than Allah and Muhammad and all this stuff. And without getting any results whatsoever for the, for the first two or three days, it was, it was far enough along in his ministry for him to realize there's a big difference between what's happening here and what's happening in other places I've been. <clears throat> so after three or four days of these massive crusades, attended by mostly Muslims. He had very, very few results or anything to show for it. So he went to the Lord in prayer and he said, Lord, I don't understand 
Why am I not getting the results here that we get in other places? And the Lord spoke to him and said, you're not preaching the word. Well, he took offense at that. He said, well, of course I am. And the Lord responded back and said, no, you're trying to explain Christianity to Muslims. I didn't call you to try to explain Christianity. I didn't call you to explain me to the Muslim nations. I called you to preach, meaning proclaim the gospel, the good news that God has sent his son, the good news that his son has taken the sacrifice or taken the sins of the world through his sacrifice, to tell the world that Jesus has risen from the dead and he's alive today. To proclaim the good news that the power of God is upon us to set people free from the work of the devil. And he saw it. He saw that as an evangelist, his job is to proclaim the good news, not try to talk people into it. So that night he went out and they had a stem winder of a service. He got miracles, healings. Devils were cast out. It was normal. It was back to normal for him. And when the time came to give the invitation, the Muslims that were in attendance at this crusade of his flocked to the front by the thousands. I think too often we're trying to explain things or trying to persuade people into believing things that the Bible says instead of just saying the Bible says it. Jesus is risen from the dead. The Bible says we have authority over sickness and disease. So it's true. The Bible says we have authority to cast out devils and to exercise that authority over the devil in every area of our life. It's the proclamation of the gospel what we call preaching of the gospel, the telling people the good news that you have authority over sickness and disease. That's what sets people free. That's what sets people free. Now, I've thought in times past that I may be a little bit of a disadvantage because I'm not a preacher, I'm a teacher. And a teacher does explain stuff. But Paul wrote to Timothy and told him to do the work of an evangelist, which means he wasn't one. But he said, do the work of an evangelist. What does the evangelist do? He proclaims the good news that the price has been paid. He proclaims the good news that we're free because of what Jesus did. He proclaims the good news that sickness and disease has no place in you because his power has been broken through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sickness and disease has no power over you. The devil has no power over you. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now turn back with me to Romans chapter 8. Let's see if we can put that verse of scripture or those two verses of scripture back in context. Romans chapter 8, we start reading in verse 29 before. Let's back up a few verses. Verse 22 says that the whole creation, meaning the earth, groaneth and travailing in pain and, uh, together until now. Verse 23 says, and not only the creation, the earth itself, that's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, but we ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting to be, for the adoption, which is the redemption of our body. Then verse 26 says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Or weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, <clears throat> because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to His purpose. <clears throat> so the, the concept <clears throat> or the thing that ties all these scriptures together is that man is in a fallen state. Mankind is in a fallen state, just like the earth is in a fallen state. Now, for us that are born again, the only result of that fallen state is the sin that's in our flesh. 
And we groan within ourselves, waiting for the good news that we've been told about a redeemed body and our presence in heaven with the Father. We search for that. We look for that, just like the earth does too. The earth is groaning and travailing. I don't know but what some of the natural disasters and tragedies and hurricanes and earthquakes and stuff like that are a result of the earth, uh, the earth groaning and travailing. We know everything can't be completely under the devil's power because if the devil controlled earthquakes and hurricanes, he'd just make it, uh, there to be a constant hurricane or a constant earthquake and just kill everybody at once. We can't do that. So it could be. Now, I don't claim to have all the answers, but it could be that some of the natural disasters we see is just a result of the fallen state, the law of sin and death that's at work in this earth. So the Bible says that the earth is waiting for the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And then he says, likewise, in the same way, the Holy Spirit helps our infirmities. Now, he's talking about weakness. But does he mean general weakness or does he describe the weakness that he's referring to? Well, he, get, he tells us what it is. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. What infirmity? For we know not what to pray for as we ought. Well, when we don't know what to pray for as we ought, the Holy Ghost helps us by giving us utterance in other tongues. That's what groanings mean. It means something that comes from your, your heart, your spirit, in inarticulate speech. Words that we don't understand, but are given by the Holy Ghost. And we know that we're praying the will of God because the Holy Ghost always leads us according to the will of God. He would always lead us to giving us utterance according to the will of God. And God hears and knows what we're saying when we pray in other tongues. So what do we know? We know there are times, maybe the majority of times, Where we know to pray for things, but we don't know how to pray for them as we ought. But there are other times where we know what to pray for and how to pray as we ought to. So if we use the Holy Ghost's help to pray in other tongues about things that we don't know how to pray for as we ought. And then we use the word of God that directs us in some cases, in some areas. To pray about things as we know we should or with a full understanding. Then what's the end end result of that? Well, it's saying if you let the Holy Ghost help you to pray when you don't know what to pray for as you ought, and when you pray according to the Word of God when you do know what to pray for as you ought, that all things work together for good. He's saying here's the path to victory. The path to victory is pray what you know to pray about the things that you know to pray for, and then let the Holy Ghost help you to pray for other things that you don't know how to pray for as you ought. And that brings us to the place where all things work together for good. Victory victory either by the holy ghost or by your knowledge of the word it brings us to victory we know that all these things work together for our good because we're called according to his purpose now verse 29 let me read that to you again the word for is the word because it's connecting what he's just said to what he's about to say so we could say because Or therefore, whom God did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. The image of his son that he's talking about is the place of victory that Jesus enjoyed while he was here on the earth. He's telling us that through prayer, we can have the victory. Whether it's praying about something we don't know how to pray for as we ought, or it's praying about something where we do know what to pray for as we ought. If we pray according to the means and the measures that God has provided to us. Then it brings us into victory. It brings us to the place where all things work together for our good. See, God doesn't let you down because you don't know how to pray for something as you ought to. And he certainly doesn't let you down when you know to pray the word for something. You know the ins and outs of what you need to pray about. Well, both of those are predominant in our lives, aren't they? I mean, when it comes to prayer, you either know what to pray for as you ought or you don't. If you know what to pray for as you ought through the word of God, that's all you need. You don't need the Holy Ghost to help you to pray in tongues about that. But the things where you don't know what to pray for as you ought, the Holy Ghost is there with utterance in other tongues to help us in that situation. 
to pray the will of God. And the end result is all things work together for our good. And folks, look at how miles apart that is from what most of the church talks about. All things work together for our good, meaning tragedy and destruction. Well, some terrible thing has come into my life. Don't worry, brother. All things work together for good. Well, how stupid can you get? Jesus didn't go around in his earthly ministry and look at people that were demon-possessed and say, well, you know, all things work together for good. (laughs) He didn't come to the leper and say, well, bless your heart, all things work together for good. No, he changed those situations. He cast out those devils. He healed those lepers. And it's interesting also when you realize that Jesus never stopped and had to pray in tongues which wasn't available at that time. Jesus didn't have to stop and pray in tongues or pray in in the language that he understood, the Greek language or whatever it was. He didn't have to stop and pray about anything to find out what God's will was. He knew that it was always God's will to heal. Jesus didn't deliver authority over sickness and disease to the 12 or to the 70 and said, now this will work in some cases, but there are others that it's God's will for people to be sick. He gave them authority over sickness and disease. Furthermore, If any sickness or any disease was ever given by God, then Jesus healing sickness and disease and delivering the power of authority to the 12 and to the 70 over sickness and disease means he's working contrary to the will and the purpose of God, which makes him a sinner, which makes his sacrifice unworthy. Now, I realize that most Christians don't want to think that much. Just being honest. Most Christians never get to those steps where they understand what the will of God is in their life and for everybody. But there's no refuting it. It's impossible to refute. Doesn't mean everybody has to believe it. But it can't be refuted. It can't be disproven. So Jesus, knowing that the authority over sickness and disease was consistent, always consistent, with the plan and the purpose of God, gave that authority to his disciples into the 70. And their lives were transformed. They became conduits for the power of God here on the earth. Now remember, the people had to receive it. They couldn't just go in and start doing miracles in and of themselves any more than Jesus did. They still, the, cities, the people of the city still had to receive it. But they simply preached that the kingdom of God was near. Imagine what that looked like. They'd go into cities that Jesus hadn't been to yet. And and they'd say. Let me heal the sick that are here. Because the kingdom of God is near. Let me cleanse the the lepers. Almost had them cleansing the dead. And raising the, the lepers. They didn't go to town and say, let me heal the sick here. Let me raise the lepers. Bring them back to health. Let me raise the dead. Because the kingdom of heaven is here. It's near to us. All they had to do is receive. All the people had to do is receive. All they had to do was say something like, really? Man, cool. Go ahead. They weren't required to believe in Jesus. They weren't required to know the plan of God for the end times. They were simply required to believe that the kingdom of God was near. Well, folks, if those kind of results where the devils are subject to them in their name and every sickness and every disease was healed and so forth, they used the power that God had given, that Jesus had given to them and the authority that goes along with it. If those are the results they got, what kind of results do you think we should be getting? With a better covenant established upon better promises. Does does it not seem. Reasonable to at least say we ought to be getting some better results than they did. Folks Jesus is the healer. He was the healer when he was here on the earth. He's the healer now because he took his. Stripes upon him to pay the price for sickness and disease. 
And it's that simple truth. That simple truth and the presence of the Holy Ghost within us. That causes us to be conformed to the image of his son. That causes us to be conformed to the image of his son. I want you to look with me to uh, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter three. Let me just start in verse six. Paul writing to the church says concerning God, who also made us able ministers of the new Testament or new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. But if literally since the ministration of death written and engraven in stones, he's talking about the old Testament, and the 10 commandments. He says, if the ministry of death written and engraven in the stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministry of the Spirit be rather glorious? He's talking about the better aspects of the new covenant than the old. How shall the ministry of the Spirit be how shall not the ministry of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious in the Old Testament had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. He's simply saying the law of God that was given through the Ten Commandments didn't have the blood of Jesus to back it up. And if it produced glory, how much more should the glory of the New Testament written in our hearts by the blood of Jesus in his sacrifice, how shall that not be greater glory? Seeing then we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Notice that phrase, great plainness of speech. That goes back to the proclamation of the gospel. That goes back to the proclaiming of what Jesus has done rather than the explaining and trying to persuade people to believe it. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which is done away in Christ. He's talking about the Jews have always had this problem. Still have this problem. They're looking to the Old Testament. The covenant promises of the Old Testament. And missing the better covenant of the New, new Testament. Or the new covenant we have in Jesus. But even as until this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I think we could also, from the things he's just said, identify that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's glory. But we all with open face, beholding as, a, as in a glass or a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the spirit of the Lord. I want to go back to Romans chapter 8 and read these scriptures again. Picking up in verse 29. After we know that all things work together for our good, whether we're praying according to our understanding or praying by the help of the Holy Ghost, for whom, or therefore, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Well, now that we've talked about what being conformed to the image of his son means a little bit, that has greater meaning to us. God has from the beginning predetermined, predestined, that you and I would be conformed, just like the 12 were conformed, just like the, the 70 were conformed, conformed to the image of his son. Through the authority that's been given unto us. To walk in victory in every aspect of our lives. See being conformed to the image of his son just doesn't mean. Well we're nice people and we love everybody and we forgive. And all those are good things. Necessary things. As a part of our Christian walk. 
But that's not what he's talking about. He's not just talking about a change of character. He's not just talking about the fruit of the Spirit on the inside of us. He's talking about being conformed to the image of his Son. Well, Jesus was everything when it came to character and right character and right works and so forth. But if we're going to be conformed to his image, that means we're going to have to exercise his authority over sickness and disease too. Can't have one without the other. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son. Who's predestined to be conformed to that image? Everybody on the earth. Is everybody on the earth going to do it? No. Whether we do or not depends first and foremost on whether or not we accept Jesus. But then it goes even further than that. We're going to have to choose to learn of him. We're going to have to choose to take hold of the things that he said was ours. What good would it have done the 70 or the 12 to be given freely the power over sickness and disease or authority over sickness and disease if they didn't use it? I think one reason Jesus sent the 70 out two by two is so that there'd be somebody that they'd have to be accountable to. Because as it is, he sent us into the same world. And most of the church just sits back waiting for the rest of the church to do the job. For whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified, made righteous. And those whom he justified or made righteous, them he also glorified. It's time we proclaim that the glory of God is in us too. It's time to proclaim that we have authority over sickness and disease. It's time to proclaim that we have authority over every work of the devil and nothing shall by any means hurt us. And it's time to proclaim that the glory of the Lord is in us. Now, if we accept that to be true, and it has to be, if we accept that to be true, then when we look at scriptures that speak to the end times about the glory of the Lord being greater in the latter days of the church than it was in the former days of the church, when we look to scriptures that tell us to pray for the rain, which is the glory of God, So that the precious fruit of the earth can come forth. The end time harvest can come forth. Where is that Holy Ghost going to move? Well he's going to start in the place that he's been sent. And that's in us. It's going to start from the place that he lives. And that's in us. It's going to start from the church. That learns of Jesus. And has been conformed to the image of his son. God's son Jesus. It has to start with us. It has to start with us. I think for too long we've been waiting for something to come down from heaven. And something's already come down from heaven. I think too many times we're looking for God to initiate some kind of move. Thinking it's going to be apart from or separate from this body. Which the Bible says is indwelt by the Holy Ghost. If we look at it like this. If we recognize that Jesus said after his resurrection, all authority is given, to me in, given unto me in heaven and in earth. But realize that the authority here on the earth was given to man. Now, I'm going to say something that might be hard for people, some people to, to accept. But where Jesus said he's been given authority on the earth, he can't exercise that authority here because he's not a human being. He's not still here. See, the Bible says that man was given authority on the earth. The thing that qualifies man for exercising that authority on the earth is his human body. See, when you lose your human body, you have to leave the earth. Are you listening to me? When you lose your body, your spirit departs from the earth. You can't stay here any longer. It is the body that gives you a place of authority here on the earth. It is your body that enables you to be here and to remain here. 
I think too often the church is fighting against their body without realizing or recognizing my body is the only thing that I have to work with. Now, sure, we need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Sure, we need to renew our minds to the word. But it's still your body that lets you or gives you opportunity to do anything here on the earth, whether it's good or bad. Well, Jesus doesn't have the body that works on the earth anymore. That's why he calls the church his body. If God is going to exercise authority through Jesus or by Jesus in any way whatsoever, and remember, Jesus is the one that said he'll build his church. If he's going to do that, he's got to use somebody with human flesh because he doesn't have that anymore. He's got to use somebody that doesn't have a redeemed body. That means he's got to use somebody who struggles with their flesh, still in this conflict or in the struggle between their flesh and their spirit. As Paul described, doing things with their body that their, their spirit resents. See, we look at our, the imperfections of our body as a hindrance. But it's the imperfections in your body that qualify you to be a, the work of Jesus here on the earth or do the work of Jesus here on the earth. It's your human body that enables you to do the same works that Jesus did and even greater works, as he said in John 14. It's your human body that gives God the opportunity to defeat the devil on his own territory. Now think about what that looks like to God. God's mortal enemy, the devil, who stole his greatest creation, man, has led mankind into spiritual death. In ways that the devil himself probably didn't realize would come forth or take place. But through the work of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, God gets to rub the devil's nose into every evil thing and wrong thing that he's done by using these imperfect vessels, these vessels that are subject to the law of sin and death by virtue of Adam and Eve's sin. He gets to empower us to exercise authority over the devil and put him to shame. To emphasize every day of our lives that Jesus spoiled principalities and powers and made an open show of them. He gets to use what the devil thought he had in his pocket as the instrument of God's power in the earth to set people free. And to enjoy the victory that Jesus had here on the earth. That's got to charge God up. To realize that the devil thought he had him. Thought he had changed his plan forever. And to realize that he'd played into the hands of God all along. God predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. Just as much as he predestined that Adam would be born in the image and likeness of him. You're predestined to be God here on the earth. You're predestined through doing the works of Jesus to reveal God's plan, his goodness, and his power here on the earth now. Not in some sweet day when Jesus comes back and we all get to go to heaven. But now, you're the only instrument God has to work in this earth. When we talk about things like that, it seems in one sense that God's at a disadvantage. But that's only because we haven't found out the greater one and how much greater the greater one is in us than he that's in the world. When we realize that the Bible says that we, the church, are the only thing holding back the Antichrist. We're the only thing holding him back. We're the only thing holding him back. Now that's talking about the church world at large. That means with all the infighting in the church, with all the backsliding in the church, means with all the, the problems and conflicts between one denomination and another, with all the conflicts that we have in not presenting our own bodies to living sacrifice and renewing our mind to the word, With all those things in place, 
we're still powerful enough to keep the devil from doing his finest work. Just by being here. Not because we're exercising some kind of power. Not because we've learned to pray the right way. Not because the majority of the church world is on fire for God or even understands the salvation that they have. Just because we're here. Just because we're here. Well, if the church can have that big of an impact on the earth just by being here, how much impact should you have on the work of the devil when you go from place to place? See, it's not the number of us that's here that withholds the devil from uh, raising up the Antichrist. It's not the number of us that's here. It's the fact that we're just here. See, whether the number of Christians in the earth is 200 million or 200,000 or 20, it's because we're here. Just because we're here. We ought to go new places or go out every day from our homes and realize that wherever we go, we should be saying, at least on the inside of us, devil, we're here. Whatever you had plans for, not going to work because we're here. That reminds me of the Acts 19 story where the seven sons of Siva went and tried to cast the devil out of that one guy and said, we adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out of it. Remember what the devil answered? Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? The implication was if they had known who they were, like Paul knew who he, who he was and has given us record in the scripture so that we can know what he knew. They could have stopped the devil in his tracks. Just because we're here. Because the greater one lives on the inside of us. Because we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Just because we're here. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the place of authority you've given us in the earth. We thank you, Father, that you've given us, through the words of Jesus, authority over every sickness and every disease. You've given us authority over all evil spirits and every work of the enemy, over all of the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt us. We thank you, Father, that we are who you say we are. We recognize, Father, that the greater one lives in us. The Holy Ghost indwells us. We recognize, Father, that you've placed us here on the earth to carry out the works of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that everywhere we go, because we're here, everywhere we go, the power of God goes with us. Everywhere we go, we have the opportunity to share with others and to perform the works that Jesus did because he said we'd do the same works and greater works. We thank you, Father, that through the exercise of our authority, we can stop the work of the devil in our own lives and in the lives of others who will receive. Thank you, Father. We recognize, we don't take glory in it, but we recognize that even the power of the devil is subject to us. But we glory in the fact that we're not, our names are written in heaven. We are new creatures. Born again just like Jesus. To carry out his works and his plan here in the earth. We love you, Father. We thank you for entrusting that power, that authority unto us. We thank you, Father, that by the birth, the rebirth of our spirits, the new birth where we were made new creations in Christ Jesus, a new species of being, we thank you, Father, that we've been conformed to the image of Christ. We have been conformed to the image of Christ. Satan, take your hands off our bodies in Jesus' name. Bodies, we call you well in Jesus' name.
Body, we call you whole in Jesus' name. Sickness, we call you gone in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Father, we love you. We magnify your holy name. Cancer, depart. We call you gone. Tumor, depart. We call you gone. Depression, depart. We call you gone. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Stand up on your feet, if you will, please. Let's just lift our hands and thank God for who he's made us to be. We love you, Father. We magnify your holy name. We thank you that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We thank you that every sickness and every disease is under the authority of the name of Jesus. We refuse to allow sickness and disease in our bodies in the name of Jesus. We refuse to allow the devil to do any evil work in us and through us in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that because Jesus has set us free, we're free indeed in every respect. In every respect, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless you. We magnify your holy name. We bless your holy name, Father. Blessed be your holy name. We bless you, Lord. We glorify you, Holy Spirit, the greater one that lives in us. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. What you got? Can we get our microphone up? his name by inheritance divinely begotten of love his name was bestowed upon him from the heart of our father God and having spoiled principalities and powers He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And he has given that name to me. Demons are helpless at the sound of that name, cause they still Remember, Jesus put them to shame. All hell still trembles, for they must obey. And heaven stands at attention when I mention that name. God has given him a name above every name. He is seated at the Father's right hand. Jesus gave us the key to pray effectually and to use and the use of his name to command with the court of high heaven watching over me in the presence of God can stand. Jesus gave me authority 
to pray in that name and because I'm now a new creature in him. Demons are helpless at the sound of that name cause they still remember Jesus put them to shame. All hell just trembles for they must obey and heaven stands at attention when I mention that name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's an old David Ingalls song. Of course, it's not cool enough to sing today in church. Too full of the word, I guess. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands one more time and thank our Father God. We love you, Father. We thank you so much for what you've done for us. Jesus, we thank you for completing, fulfilling the plan of redemption, for living in us. We thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit, the teacher, the guide, the strengthener, the greater one. We love you, Father. We thank you for all that you've done through us. And the even greater things that are yet to come. Thank you for the glory of the Lord in us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.